Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Um, I'm doing something a little different for this episode. This is... I'm a little out of my element because... Um, I'm recording this in my bedroom downstairs with my laptop and my blue Yachty microphone. So I don't have ed- headphones in. I'm not at my desk, and the way I'm lay- I'm laying down, the way I'm laying down, it reminds me of that picture of George Costanza wearing, I think, nothing but underwear, and he's on a bare skin rug or something, unless my memory fails me, failed me. Um, I don't know how long I'll be able to sustain that. The acoustics might sound different. I don't know. But... Uh, whatever. This episode, I'm going to be talking about Hitman. Today, I'm recording on Thanksgiving Day, November 24th, 2022. I'm thankful for anyone listening, anyone out there listening, which is... I, I'm not going to say no one. Maybe maybe this will reach someone out there in the vast ether of the galaxy one day. I don't know. Um, so happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate it. And if you don't, hello. I'm also going to do something different. Before I start, I'll... yeah, the the Black Friday emails are relentless. It's like it's dizzying. Black and people like with the puns like Black Friday, I don't know any, I can't think of any puns right now, but every three seconds there's a new Black Friday email, probably more. Um, it's redonkulous. I worked this morning at Amazon. I work at Amazon. And I worked three and a half hours. I got holiday OT pay, which I'm happy for. I also get eight hours holiday pay because I recently turned full time. Who cares, right? I barely care. So who cares? I'm also... Jesus Christ. My thoughts are... Ramble, Ramblo. Starring Edmund. Ramblo. One more thought before we move on. I wonder if plumbers have Black Friday sales. You know what I mean? Because Thanksgiving is all, all about... Allegedly all about family, getting together, eating, the foods. And then Black Friday is all about them getting gifts for Christmas, like Target and Walmart and Best Buy and and all online retailers, Black Friday sales. But I wonder if plumbers capitalize on Black Friday because Thursday is Thanksgiving meals and Friday is all about that plumbing. You know what I mean? I'm talking about the shit storm that comes on Black Friday. Anyway, um, I'm also going to do something different because I'm going to start with Hitman. Usually I get to Hitman at the end, but I'm going to start with Hitman. And the reason I'm doing that is because... I did not like Hitman, and I felt like I kind of just didn't want to 
end this episode on a sad note. So Hitman is a 2007 movie based on the video game. I haven't played the video game, so I cannot speak to that. 2007 action thriller film directed by Xavier Jens or Gens. The story revolves around Agent 47, a professional hitman engineered to be an assassin by a group known as ICA, International Contract Agency. Um, I didn't. I just didn't like the movie. I thought it, the story was boring. I thought the performances were probably the worst about it. Performances were pretty wooden, I would say. I really recently listened to an episode of uh, Pat's Movie Corner, Pat Walsh, and he said that Olga Korylenko in the Bond movie that she was in, that I'm not even sure what Bond movie she was in, but he said she was bad in it, and she doesn't make much of an impact, and that's how I feel about her here. Um, no offense to her, she's a, she's a good-looking gal, but she doesn't really bring anything to the table. She does appear nude in this movie, Hitman. So if, so if you're into that sort of stuff, like a like some sort of sick fuck, then you might enjoy the nudity in this movie. Tim- Timothy Oliphant, who I I keep wanting to call Timothy Dalton for some reason. I don't think he was good in this either, but I'm not going to blame him. I'm just going to blame the director, um, Doug Ray Scott, who I'm not familiar with. Um, I'm sorry, I'm snorting snot up my nose every few seconds. I should take care of it, but instead, I'm not going to. Um, I just... The movie didn't make a lot of sense, scene to scene. I was bored by it. At the end, I thought there was a scene that was a a flashback, but I don't think it was a flashback. It was just a weirdly, badly constructed sequence of scenes. Um, Henry Ian Cusick is in this, which who I like. He was my favorite character on Lost. Um, he has kind of a short but fairly memorable sequence in the movie. Um, I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. Um, hold on, I'm sorry. I forgot I have to keep reading on this. There's a reboot called Hitman Agent 47. On January 31st, 2014, actor Zachary Quinto or Quinto was cast in an unnamed role on, on February 6th. Actress Hannah Ware was cast in the female lead role. On February 19th, 2014, production began with Friend, Rupert Friend, as Agent 47. Oh, wait, no. I thought that was new. That's just the sequel that I have very little interest in. Um, Let's move on from Hitman. It's not a good movie. It's, I know this is probably recency bias, but it's probably one of the worst movies I've reviewed on the list of video game movies. 
it, it was just it just makes no impact on me whatsoever. Um, next, let me see if Audacity is still recording. Yes, eight minutes. I watched Luckiest Girl Alive on Netflix. Um, my wife put it on. It is a 2022 mystery thriller film directed by Mike Barker from a screenplay by Jessica Knoll based on her 2015 novel of the same name. The film stars Mila Kunis, Finn Wittrock, um, Scoot McNary, Chiara Aurelia, Justine Lupe, Thomas Barbruska, Jennifer Beals, and Connie Breton. I like this movie. The movie is about... The beginning of the movie is a little weirdly constructed because I, I couldn't really make sense of what was going on. But at the same time, I enjoyed what was going on. Like, I was just there for the ride and I liked it. And... the I watched this... Oh, a week or so ago, I'm like my memory is already faulting me. Um, the movie is about Mila Kunis's character, who she used to be called Tiffany, and now as an adult, she is named. She calls herself Ani, and it kind of goes back and forth between present day and flashbacks. And her character in the past. Spoiler alert for Lucky Luckiest Girl Alive was not involved but she was a victim slash survivor of a school shooting and it kind of goes back and forth in in the time jumps telling her story in the present day and what she's like in the present day and what she experienced in the past also she is conflicted because there was one guy from her past or a guy or a group of guys who sexually assaulted her, raped her. And that guy in the present is now in a wheelchair and selling books like, I am a survivor. We can all do better with our lives, blah, blah, blah. And she is very conflicted with that because this guy in the past raped her. I thought it was pretty interesting. And... The strongest thing I can say about the movie is that I liked Mila Kunis a lot. There was no hint of Meg from Family Guy in her voice, in my opinion. There was no hint of That 70s Show, in my opinion. So I feel like she is... I haven't really followed her career, but I feel like she's grown as an actor. And I really liked her performance in this she was pretty intense. Um, I liked it. I, I recommend you check it out if you can. Um, that's all I have to say about Luckiest Girl Alive. Midnight Run. I gotta, I gotta take care of my nose issue. P-p-p-pause. Check, check. One, two, three. I changed positions. I'm now on my back. I wish I could conjure up some energy, but I don't want to sound like a radio announcer. Ugh.
talk about a Midnight Run, shall we? Uh, Midnight Run is a 1988 American body cop road action comedy film directed by Martin Brest, starring Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. Yafet Kato, Jan Ashton, Dennis Farina, Joe Pantoliano, and Philip Baker Hall play supporting roles. Um, I... I finally watched this because Pat Walsh and Joe DeRosa have been singing the praises of this movie for a long time. And I had never heard of it prior to them talking about it. I'd never seen it. So I finally sat down and watched it. I liked it a lot. Um, I can't, it can't help but be compared to planes, trains, and automobiles and because they literally go on plane, a train, and automobiles in this movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a ripoff. They're very, they're well. I was about to say they're very different movies, but they're not. They're very similar. Um, but this one's, I'd say, darker. You know, the circumstances that they meet are definitely darker. Um, the gist of it is. Robert De Niro plays a character named Jack Walsh. He's a bounty hunter, a former cop, and you know he he reveals parts of his past throughout the movie. And he is now a bounty hunter, and he 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 has to. He's trying to get a score. Uh, I just called it a score. I don't know if that's the proper slang for bringing in Charles Grodin's character named Jonathan Mardukas and he is some sort of an accountant that inadvertently finds himself working for like the mob or something and he decides to steal from his boss and give to the less fortunate and so the mob wants to catch him and kill him because he has proof of you know mob activity or whatever and Robert and Jack Walsh is trying to bring him from, I don't know, Chicago or New York to L.A. or whatever to get his bounty. And the FBI gets involved and the FBI is unable to catch this elusive character, John Mardukis. But Jack Walsh was able to find him immediately because he's a former cop and very good at his job. And hilarity ensues. It's very funny. Um, you know, a few times in the movie, they make they do some big action sequences, which I'm like, I felt was like a little unnecessary. And I feel like they, it felt a little shoehorned in, which I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt a little shoehorned in for like, oh, that's for the trailer. Like at one point, um... What's his name? John Ashton, who I'm, I wasn't familiar with, but him and Jack Walsh are driving in a car with uh, John Mardukis, and then John Mardukis goes, uh, they're being chased by a helicopter, and then Charles Grodin goes, you guys are the worst bounty hunters I've ever known, or whatever. And I don't know. I'm like, okay, that was clearly for the trailer. 
And I think the movie shines in the quieter moments, the interactions between Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. And, you know, it was a corny in spots, but not none of its deal breakers. And very funny, very heartwarming at times. And I think it is, it should be compared to planes, trains, and automobiles. And if I watch them back to back, I wonder which one I would like more. My, I would bet on planes, trains, but I like Midnight Run a lot. Charles Grodin, I, I want to see other things he's been in. Like I, I think I saw Beethoven when I was a kid, but um, I'm not. I know him more by his name and not his performances or his Wikipedia listing. Next up in the movie bait is Annabelle. I'm going to go ahead and say, because I don't think anyone's going to knight me and crown me. You are now officially a horror fan, Edmund. Rise and go forth and watch more horror movies. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say I like, I am now a horror movie. I was a, I was like Pat Walsh. I was a pussy as a kid. Never liked them. Always freaked me out. Gave me nightmares. Had trouble sleeping. And at this point, I, I just like them. I enjoy them. Um, I watched Annabelle. Annabelle is a 2014 American supernatural horror film directed by John R. Leonetti. Written by Gary Dauberman and produced by Peter Safran and James Wan. Um, I liked Annabelle a lot. Um, it stars. Did I read that? No. Stars Annabelle Wallace, Ward Horton. I don't know Ward Horton, but he looks like. He reminded me a lot of. Uh, Fantastic Beasts Man, I'm blanking on his name, and Alfre Woodard. Um, I believe this movie got bad reviews. Um, Annabelle received generally negative reviews from critics, many of whom felt it felt the film inferior to its predecessor, which is The Conjuring. Well, The Conjuring, in my opinion, is a really great um modern horror movie so like i get why you would compare the two they're part of the same franchise but i liked annabelle a lot i liked anna i liked annabelle wallace more in this movie than malignant um looking at the box office it was the budget was 6.5 mil box office 2.257.6 mil um, I, th I think I'll get to this later, but I thought, I just liked it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on the gist of it, but <coughs> Annabelle, not Annabelle. Well, Annabelle Wallace is, she starts off pregnant in the beginning of the movie with a husband and you know, they're just living their life at home. And at the beginning of the movie, <coughs> their their neighbors get, like, murdered. 
and Annabelle Wallace collects dolls in this movie. It's not really a plot point. It's you can just see that she's collecting dolls. And at one point her husband brings home a a doll which happens to be Annabelle. And none of this is like explained. They explain it later in Annabelle like creation. Like the origins of the doll and the neighbors and all that. And the neighbor's daughter. And you know, they go to some familiar tropes in this movie, like Alfred Woodard is essentially the mystical black um, woman who can kind of explain things. They, I feel like they differed a little bit, and they introduced her early enough where I'm like, well, she's the owner of the bookstore in town, and they became kind of acquaintances and friends over the movie, and so I didn't think she fit that role perfectly and it wasn't like they didn't lean too heavily on the trope I don't think I think they differentiated it enough um by the end of the movie spoiler for Annabelle I've, I was a little bummed out that the black woman and her daughter are, are now dead and the white family gets to live happily ever after this kind of a ends on a bum note, but um, I liked Annabelle. I think you should check her out. Um, Pumped up. Pumped up by Annabelle, I decided to watch another movie in the Conjureverse. The Curse of La Girona. Um, The Curse of La... The... In general, the La Llorona, the mythical urban legend, uh, mythical legend, freaks me out. It reminds me of, there's something in the Philippines called the White Lady, which, you know, in America sounds funny, but in the Philippines, it's called the White Lady, and my cousins told me about it, and it freaked me out. And it's basically a, I don't, I don't really know the legend specifically, and I'm sure it's changed over the years, but basically if you're going on certain roads at night and it's lightly raining and you see a white lady, it's basically a lady in like a white dress um, walking, then it means you're going to die soon. Maybe in the next few days, weeks, months, years, who knows, but you will die uh, now, as an adult, it sounds kind of silly, but even seeing the imagery now, like it, sometimes it makes the news in the Philippines because my parents watch the Filipino news. They'll, they'll say things like, oh, there was a white lady viewing and they'll do reenactments. It still kind of freaks me out. And that's similar, in my opinion, to La Llorona. And in La Llorona, the... Which, it boggles my mind how many white people still pronounce it La Lorna. It would be pronounced La La Lorona, first of all. And it's not, it's the L's are silent, bro. It's, yo, como say llamas? Come on. Um, and didn't you see Coco? The song was beautifully sung. They don't go, yo, yo, Rona. Oh, that sounded like my Sharona. Um, 
The Curse of La Llorona, I still think it was an entertaining movie, but I, it can't help but feel like one one of the lesser movies in the Conjureverse, in my opinion. Um, I like Linda Carden... Carden what is it? Uh, Cardellini? Card Cardellini. I like Linda Cardellini. My brother sent me a clip of him watching the movie, and I was like, "Hey, it's Tuco." It's fun seeing Tuco in there. There was a too few, a too one too many um, attempts at humor in this movie that I didn't personally didn't care for, but. I think it's a solid movie, but it's it's definitely less, maybe the worst of the Conjureverse, in my opinion. But I have not seen The Nun or The Nun 2. But I still enjoyed it. I think, that's the thing, like, the best scene in the movie, in my opinion, is the car scene. When the little boy sees the Yorona, La Yorona. And he runs to the car, and the car's window starts opening, and the doors unlock. That was very intense, well-acted, well-executed, and no CGI. And at the end of the movie, there was there was CGI up the wazoo. I, I don't know. It's like They're like, okay, the ending has to be big and grand and CGI, because it has to be like something you've never seen before. But in my opinion, the best scene of the movie is the the car scene with no CGI whatsoever. Um, uh, try to be more creative, is my is my opinion. Um, Nine million budget, one hundred twenty three point one million box office. Next, I watched Annabelle Comes Home. 2019 American supernatural horror film written and directed by Gary Doberman in his directorial debut from a story from Doberman and James Juan, also who also served as producer with Peter Safran. Um, I li- I liked Annabelle Comes Home a lot. Um, the budget was 27 to 32 million, box office of 231.3 million. Um, someone's going to open my door. Nope. I think the, what shines in this movie are the characters and the acting. I really liked McKenna Grace as Judy Warren, Madison Eisman as Mary Ellen, Katie Sarif as Daniela Rios slash bride number two. Um, one thing, one small, um, quibble, qualm, minor, is, I felt all the, the characterizations of the characters were a little weird, like, Madison Eisman, who is striking, striking young woman, she, her character is like a little bit of a nerd, which didn't make sense like she's um she has asthma and i know nerds and 
it doesn't matter what you look like. You can have asthma dis- regardless. But I felt like she, her character was supposed to be a nerd. And she's like this beautiful young girl. And she we're supposed to believe that she has trouble sparking up a conversation with Bob, Paul, Mary, a grocery store cashier. So a little weird, but not, not nothing big. No, no deal breakers here. Also, Katie Sarif comes off as a little mean to Mary Ellen, played by Madison Eisman. So I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure why these girls are friends, and but I, I like them that they're the best part a part of this movie. And McKenna Grace is weird and. You know, one of my favorite lines. I, I did like the humor in this. I don't know why. I guess everyone can pick and choose. But she, you know, her her classmates are talking to her at school. And one is like, I can't come to your birthday party, Judy. My parents say um, I'm not ready to talk about a heavy subject such as death. And then Judy goes, it's a birthday party. I thought that was funny. Um, so it's essentially a a babysitter movie, and I, I, I just liked it, and the, the, it ends on a sweet note, and, you know, The Conjuring 3, I did not enjoy, and it, like, as Joe said, the movie ends with him giving her a gazebo, which is a weird, bizarre end to that movie, and in this movie... You know, everyone doesn't want to come to her birthday party because her parents are weird. And then at the end of this movie, um, Mary Ellen comes with her new boyfriend, Bob, Bob, and she brings Daniela, her friend Daniela, and then all the classmates come in. I will, I will just say I may or may not have been feeling the tugs at the back of my eyeballs at the ending of this movie. Um, it was pretty, ended pretty sweet, and I liked it. Um, I liked it. And after this movie, I can say that the Annabelle franchise has a better batting, batting average than the Conjuring franchise. Because, you know, one, Conjuring 1 I liked a lot. Conjuring 2 I liked less. Conjuring 3, I did not like. Annabelle, I liked. Annabelle Creation, I liked. Annabelle Comes Home, I liked a lot. So this the th- this trilogy is much better, in my opinion, than The Conjuring. But I did like Conjuring 1 plenty. Where are we at time-wise? 30-minute um, mark. Um, I will end on a strong note. Smile. Um, it's playing on Paramount Plus. Smile is a 2022 American psychological horror film written and directed by Parker Finn in his feature directorial debut, based on his 2020 short film Laura Hasn't Slept. I don't know how to pronounce Sozi. Sozi? Let's do a quick Google search. How. To pronounce Susie. Um, 
Okay, I'm already confused. What the fuck is this? Um, of course, I can't hear audio on this thing. God damn it. Give me the phonetics. I'm not going to find it. I'm not going to find it. God damn it. Um, I've never seen Sosie Bacon in my life. And then I thought, well, who else famous is named Bacon? And she is indeed the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick, which was pleasant to learn. Um, Caitlin Stacy, who reprises her role from the short film, Laura Hasn't Slept. I liked her a lot. Her smile is intense and creepy. Cal Penn in this movie. Um, let me. I will say this, and I'm pro maybe I'll. This is wrong to say, but <laughs> I liked Cal Penn the best when he was playing. When he was in, uh, I almost said Ferris Bueller. What's that movie with Ryan Reynolds? God dang it. Uh, Van Wilder. He played Taj Mahal Badalandabad. I, I liked him a lot in that movie. And then when I found out he was like um, American putting on an accent, I was like, ah, ew. I don't know why. I I I don't. Uh, maybe that's wrong to think, but he was like. I don't know. That character was so endearing with the accent, and then when when I find out he's American, I'm like, oh, you're just, you're essentially a white man. I feel like a white man. I was born and raised in, in the United States of America, but my parents are full Filipino. But I feel like a white man. I feel like the only thing that could make me interesting is if I were, like, Filipino and spoke the language. But anyway, I'm off topic. Um, Jesse T. Usher, he was in The Boys, and I did not like him in The Boys. I didn't... I watched season one of The Boys. I didn't like him in it. I didn't think his acting was good. And then in here, I think he was better... Anytime when he had to kind of stretch and be, like, angry at Sosi, I felt like, uh, let's, let's try to tone it down a little bit. But I think he is growing as an actor. Um, Kyle Gallner looks familiar, but I didn't recognize him. Robin Wagert. Robin Wagert... <laughs> Okay, let me talk about the movie. I'm all over the place. Um, the movie is about... So Sosie Bacon plays a therapist. And she witnesses a... Well, according to Wikipedia, a bizarre suicide of a patient. And... Basically, she she follows the trail. Like, oh, it's been happening... Over a long time. And I like how... Well, Sozie Bacon is the... 
check Audacity. Sozy Bacon is by far the best part of this movie. She's incredible in this movie. She's great. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, she is so buttoned up and fastened and tight. And she is wearing her, you know, dress. Well, she's wearing nice clothes to work. Her hair is up in a bun. And... I like how generally, slowly and generally throughout the movie, she becomes a little more unfastened, unbuttoned, unraveling, and she becomes more and more quote-unquote crazy. And I like how this movie had a commentary on mental health, how, you know, the two cops at the beginning were like, your patient was a head case, right? And Dr. Cotter was like, I'm sorry, what? A head case? And they're like, yeah, she was nutso, right? She was fucking crazy, right? Um, and they mentioned that a few times throughout the movie because there is still a stigma, even in 2022, and I will venture to say even by 2040, there will still be a stigma on mental health. And, um, you know, I like the little touches how... Um, Sosie Bacon's character said, you mean she died by suicide? And, and the cops are like, oh, she, she committed suicide, yo. Um, I thought interesting touches like that were interesting. The issue with this movie is, you know, by the time Sosie Bacon gets to the character, it was like, there is one guy who witnessed a suicide, but he is alive. So she goes to visit the guy. And then she's like, how are you still alive? And he explains, like, I, I researched as much as I could. In Brazil, someone th um, killed someone else and there was a witness and that's how he passed it on. So in that moment, I was like, Okay, this is It Follows, and I liked It Follows fine. It's been a while since I've seen it, probably since 2014, 2015. And again, it's probably recency bias, but I probably liked Smile more than It Follows. But at that moment, I realized this is, I, I don't know if ripoff is the right word, but, you know, Joe once said that, if a movie follows a familiar device after it's been done for many times, then it's a trope. But if it's only been done one time, then it's a ripoff, which I don't know if I agree with, but I understand what he's saying. This device, as far as I know, has only been done once, and I remember it from It Follows, where this curse is being passed on and it follows it was through sexual intercourse and this it was through seeing someone bizarrely commit suicide and that's how it's passed on that's way too similar to it follows and at that movie like the movie in my opinion got a couple notches off because i felt like okay this movie is no longer original and I started to get a little bummed out because it follows, I'm not going to look it up, but it only grossed like $23 million. 
and smile at as of this moment budget 17 million box office 214 million i'm happy for everyone involved that it's doing well but and even like hereditary grossed 80 million which i was like a little surprised by um not that box office necessarily means better movie but i'm just saying um also i I want to mention that Ari Aster, after watching Hereditary, I'm like, this guy is obviously has a passion for making movies. He knows what he's doing. He has a vision. He has a unique vision and a unique style. <coughs> and after Hereditary, I'm like, I, I'm looking forward to what he does next. Midsummer, I liked less than Hereditary, but he's still a solid director, solid filmmaker. He knows what he's doing etc. And I know a lot of people compare Hereditary to Rosemary's Baby, which I liked a lot also, and people compare Midsummer to Wicker Man, which I have not seen either, either the original or the newer one. But this movie, like after watching Hereditary, you feel like you know Ari Aster a little bit. After watching Smile, I feel like I know nothing about Parker Finn. You know what I mean? I feel like this is very, you know, factually very derivative of It Follows. And I feel like I can't, I I don't know his style. I don't know his vision. It just feels very much almost like he remade it follows, but he changed the sexual intercourse to suicide. Also, I'll just go ahead and say I I watched Laura Hasn't Slept. I wish I had watched it before watching Smile, because watching Laura Hasn't Slept, I thought it was a very much a nothing short film. It's 11 minutes. You can find it on YouTube. And of course, it can't help but com- pale in comparison to Smile, because Smile is a bigger, way bigger budget, full-length feature. But I just thought it was kind of a nothing of a short film. And, I mean, I can acknowledge and appreciate that they they put a lot into the special effects and all that stuff. But, I don't know. It should be an inspiration to anyone wanting or who, who wants to make who wants to get into movies, because you can make a good short film probably shot in your iPhone. And I know Laura Hasn't Slept wasn't shot in an iPhone, and they had to add a bunch of effects. But it felt like a very much nothing short to me. And I'm surprised that people liked it enough that they gave the go-ahead for him to turn it into a full-length movie. Also, I, I can't help but wonder if the studio noted, like, Smile is, isn't strong enough story-wise. You need to do better. And then maybe Parker Finn panicked and decided to rip off It Follows. I, I don't know. But to me, Hereditary and Midsummer feel like very original movies. And Smile does just does not feel like an original movie to me. It feels too similar to it follows and i want to rewatch it follows maybe i'll like it or <clears throat> appreciate it more 
That being said, I still liked Smile. Another kind of significant problem I had with the movie is they kept doing the same thing over and over again. I feel like they ran out out of ideas on what to do with the movie. So they're like, okay, let's let's have it seem like it's really happening to her, but she wakes up again. Let's insert another one of those scenes. Let's insert seven of those scenes. Um, Robin Wagert's scene where she smiled, for some reason, it almost made me laugh. I could imagine audiences laughing at that scene. I don't know why everyone else's smile was creepy, but her smile was laugh-worthy. Um, I liked Rob Morgan's scene when he was freaking out. Get her away from me! <clears throat> um, and then towards the end of the movie, they kept, again, they're like, let's make it seem like it's really happening. But then she wakes up again and again and again. And then how do they end the movie? Exactly how you think it's going to end, where... She commits suicide in front of her ex, which is not really explained. And then he she passes off the curse to him. The Marilyn Manson creature looked kind of cool. And the monster entering her mouth was kind of cool. But, you know, at the, at the one, at the like hour mark of this movie, I was like, I checked the time. There was 55 minutes left. And I was like happy. I was like relieved. I'm like, I like this world. I like living in it. I'm a, I'm enjoying it. And I'm glad that there's 50 full minutes left in this movie. And then I quickly regretted my thoughts because they just kept doing the same thing over and over again. I feel like they didn't know how to end the movie and they didn't know what to do further with the movie because it has a strong first i'll say hour it's very good very entertaining and then it gets repetitive but all that being said after all the qualms and quibbles i have just stated i did enjoy the movie a lot um i i liked it i liked it plenty and i think you should check it out nice to see um Judy Reyes from Scrubs in there. Gillian or Jillian Zinzer, who I'm not familiar with, playing the sister. Her dynamic with her husband was very funny. Um, I think you should check it out. It was a good movie. Um, let me just do a quick control F to see if Wikipedia mentions it follows in here and i haven't um i haven't listened to the we'll see you in hell episode because i didn't want to rip off any of their thoughts either so there's a marketing section that says shania russell at slash film compared the film to the ring it follows and truth or Do truth or dare and wrote it's all very familiar and probably not too hard to imagine how the movie will progress but the scares will make or break the experience. And based on the trailer, smile is more than promising. Marissa Mirabal of IndieWire gave the film 
grade B minus, noting its plot similar to films such as It Follows, The Ring, Oculus, and Final Destination. Smile navigates unhealed trauma through a supernatural lens and mischieving juxtaposition despite feeling like a shadow of other stories. It delivers a captivating and claustrophobic mental hellscape that will cause one to both grimace and grin. Um, Katie Reif of RogerEbert.com gave the film 2.5 out of 4 stars, writing, In padding out the concept from an 11-minute short into a nearly two-hour movie, Smile leans too heavily not only on formulaic mystery plotting, but also on horror themes and imagery lifted from popular hits like The Ring and It Follows. Um, I agree with that a lot, Katie Reif. Um, critics point out that the concept of being consumed by one's trauma to the point that trauma manifests as an identity is observably common within the genre. As such, Smile has been thematically compared to other horror films such as The Babadook and It Follows. Um, yeah, after reading these reviews, I'm like, I I'm kind of less enthusiastic about the movie, but I liked it. I think you should check it out. I think that's all I got for this episode. I'm at 49 minutes. Um, thank you for listening. Um, like I said at the top of this thing, it's Thanksgiving today. I'm exhausted from work because, um, it's peak, well, peak season technically starts with Black Friday, but Amazon peak season, it's, it's their biggest, um, time, busiest time of the year and it's exhausting for the employees and. There's nothing really you can do. Um, it's what sucks is you start feeling like they they know we need money, so we are going to endure everything that we need to endure whilst at work in order to make that money. Because after we leave here, we have to go home to our families and we have to pay the bills and. When we're at work, it, it can be rough sometimes. It's very busy. It's back-breaking. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. And believe it or not, it's emotionally and mentally frustrating and exhausting as well. Maybe not so much as other professions, but it can be. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a fucking hero or anything. I'm a, I'm a dipshit. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm a dipshit. Before we go, I'd like to recite something I'm trying to memorize in the style of Shakespeare. Wherefore rejoice? What conquest brings he home? What tributaries follow him to Rome to grace? In captive bonds. God damn it. You know, Shakespeare, according to Wikipedia, he's considered the best writer, best playwright of all time. A lot of people hate him, like Joe and Pat don't like him because the way Joe describes him is like, uh, un like 
in a language you've never you don't talk or write in anymore and that's that's what makes it hard to memorize because wherefore rejoice i understand rejoice i don't understand wherefore what conquest brings he home it's a weird way of speaking they should have just said hey what did what what did that guy bring home you know what did that did that guy bring me anything instead he phrases it what conquest brings me home and then here's the next line that i fucked up earlier what tributaries follow him to rome to fuck what tributaries follow him to rome to grace in captive bonds his squeaky wheels god damn it um thank you for listening i'm thankful for you happy thanksgiving also before i go i want to say i used to say don't abandon your friends but what if your friends are cunts you know don't abandon your friends unless your friends are cunts. My friends abandoned me, and now I realize I have no doubt in my mind that I was being a cunt to them. You know? And that, and for that reason, I was rightfully and purposely and purposefully abandoned because I was being a cunt. So don't be a cunt to your friends. But feel free to abandon your cunt friends. You know what I mean? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Don't work too hard. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your mental health. Um, I hope your pets are well and thriving. Uh, thank you for listening. And say hi to your pets for me.